You know what I really like? What do you really like? Ice cream. You know what else I really like? What else do you really like? I like learning about people's obsessions when we are driving around on the VW bus. Oh, ice cream is an obsession of yours. I see. I see how this started. I see. You're obsessed with ice cream. Oh. You like to learn about other people's obsessions while we drive around in our bus. Yes. Well, I mean, in in general, I just like people's obsessions. Like, if somebody's obsessed with something, mm-hmm. and an obsession is such, maybe it. Does that have a negative connotation? I, I don't mean it in a negative way. I know that you don't. I think that maybe you mean like burning interests. Burning interests. I don't know. It could be obsession. People's passions, maybe. Passion? Yeah, I guess passion works. Some people said we were obsessed on yeah. our trip. I mean, it, it's maybe it's like a driving force. I don't like you become. What's the term? You, you become like hypnotized or bewitched by something. You. Or you just can't be, maybe that's not it, but you can't be derailed. You can't be like dissuaded. Yes. Or discouraged or reasoned with. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not here to necessarily talk about us. I was I was just saying that I like meeting people who have deep interests, burning desires, passions. We met a lot of those people. Um, the VW community, along with obsessive people there's some overlap there that's fair they're determined people and so it's not unusual when we meet a vw person that they've got another burning desire interest passion pursuit something that has uh hypnotized them no it's not unusual in fact it's common usually um they have some other like thing in their life that they're equally sort of um driven by and it's fascinating Pilots, boaters, um, birders. 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 In, in fact, funny you should bring that up here it while is we're weird, on the microphones. Uh, we met a couple of birders who, I mean, like, you know, the, a Two birder. Two of the ultimate birders, yeah, kind of. They're, they're like, they're in like the birding hall of fame or something. It's really funny because we moved to Maine and the very first night in Maine before we had even made it to our home, Uh, We had a little bit of a mishap and we got stuck in a neighbor's house driveway down the street. And the young woman who lived there was so lovely and pleasant. Turns out she uh, knows the birding by best people, not personally, but follows them. She's a a wildlife biologist and knew the birding by best people. That was um, that's how small and big a world it is. Which, uh, coincidentally, that's who we're talking about, are the birding by bus people. Oh, did I give that away? Like, did I... Well, we have to introduce them. Is there a bird pun for that? For what? Being an early bird? I was an early bird. You were an early bird. I think you counted your chicks before they were hatched. We're talking about Mark and Ileana of Birding by Bus, Birding by Bus fame. And uh, they regularly now lead bird tours all over the world. Like, I always want to know, like... You know, where did you get your start? Where did this all come from? And they kind of have like an unlikely genesis for birding by bus. There's a there's a movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's it's called The Big Year, and it's a movie. I think it's from around 2012, and it stars Steve Martin, Jack Black, and Owen Wilson. And it's about these three guys who spend an entire year competing against each other 
doing a birding big year. And we, I think we drew a lot of inspiration from that movie. We really loved the movie and loved the story. And we just decided that we wanted to do our own birding big year and incorporate some of the things that we saw in that movie, some of the places that they went and some of the things that they did. But we would do it in our kind of own unique way in the VW bus. So some of you may be wondering what a big year actually is. And I am really disappointed if you are wondering that because it means that you did not listen to Mark and Ileana's podcast episode where they explain what a big year is. So you should go back and listen to that episode and then, you know, fast forward to this one again. In case you don't want to do that, Mark is going to explain it again in this next clip. So there are actual, like, official records that have been set by different people. And there are all kinds of different big years. Um, Sort of the more mainstream big year, it's called an ABA big year, which stands for the American Birding Association. And that includes, uh, basically includes the United States and Canada, um, including Alaska and Hawaii. And people try to see as many birds as possible within that area in one calendar year, basically from January 1st to December 31st. But there are also other versions of a big year. There are a lot of people that do a lower 48 big year. So they kind of keep Alaska and Hawaii out of it because that makes it a lot more expensive and logistically difficult. So lower 48 big years are commonly done. Um, Some people do a big year in their own state. So like, you know, we're from Florida and we know a lot of people that have done a Florida big year. And some people even will do a birding big year within their county. So like we have friends in Miami that spent an entire year doing a Miami-Dade county big year. And it's basically to see as many bird species as possible in that designated area within one year. So we decided we would do the... um the ABA big year, I guess, kind of the more traditional one. And I don't know off the top of my head what the record is. Um, we really weren't trying to compete f- to beat the, the world record because we knew doing it in a VW bus, we'd be moving very slowly and we wouldn't be able to like sort of zip across the country um, in planes and, and really, you know, move at the speed that a lot of these top birders move at. But we would do it sort of in the idea of setting our own, you know, personal record. It's just something we wanted to do. We wanted to see how many we could see for ourselves. And so we weren't really, we weren't competing in the traditional sense. It was more just like a, you know, a personal mission that we wanted to undertake. We, um, so Mark has been birding, like he said, for 30 years. He's the one that got me into birding. Uh, I've always loved nature, but he's the one that got me into birding. We've been uh, together for 16 years. So he introduced me to the birding world and I love it. And um, we bought Valentina in 2008 on Valentine's Day. So that's how she got her name, Valentina. Uh, So yeah, so birds came first, but Valentina has become part of the family. So it's Valentina, it's very, very special to us. And uh, it was just really nice to be able to incorporate those two things, the birds and the bus. And I feel like both of those communities are just so special. Like 
the VW community is absolutely amazing. Like everybody wants to help you out and you, you're like, you're driving the bus and everybody's giving you a peace sign or, or honking at you or a big smile or comes up to you and tells you that they used to have a bus. It's just so special. And the same thing goes with the burning community. Like there were so many people that, that knew like, that we needed a bird and they're like, okay, I can help you find this, this species or I can take you here or you can stay with us. So it was very special. Like, to be able to unite those two passions. Yeah, yeah. So if you wanted to strategize about this, um, there are very sort of particular routes that you could do or strategic places that you would need to be. Um, and the way you would do it is, um, you know, the way some of the you know top birders do it is they they hit the top hotspots at a very particular time of year. You know, places like... Southern Arizona, where there's a lot of unique birds, and, and South Texas, and South Florida, and Alaska, and Hawaii, and um, you know, just kind of some of the big hot spots where a lot of birds pass through during spring and fall migration, and, and you know, they where, wherever they just happen to be. Um, there are something like you know, I, I don't want to say exactly, but there are something like 650 breeding bird species in North America that you can pretty reliably find if you go to the right place. But beyond that 650, there are also um, a few hundred of what we called vagrant type birds that aren't regularly occurring in North America, but they're birds that could be from, from Mexico or from Europe or from Asia that accidentally take a wrong path during their flight migration and they wind up in North America. So for those birds, you have to kind of chase them on a whim whenever they show up. Um, so in other words, somebody else, let's say in, you know, in, uh, in San Francisco reports that they've seen a little stint, which is a type of sandpiper from East Asia. You know, it just so happened to wander over. If you're a big year birder, you'd probably get on the next plane and fly to San Francisco to tick that little stint on your list. And that's something that we decided we were not going to do. Um, we weren't going to just, you know, fly places as soon as a rare bird showed up. We would just, you know, kind of take a more linear path and see as many things as we could, see as many birds as we could see along that path. But we weren't able to, um, you know, jump back and forth by plane or hit certain hotspots at certain times just because, you know, we were driving from Florida to Alaska and back. And if the best time to be in South Texas was in early May, well, you know what, we're already like all the way in Alaska by early May. So we're not there at exactly the right time. So we really, I think we, we tried to do the best we could with the route that we planned. So, I mean, you know, people always, whenever we say, hey, we've gone to 49 states, people like to go, let me guess the state that you didn't make it to. Yeah, sometimes they actually don't know. Every now and then they, they honestly don't know. Yeah. But I understand that. And then I say Nebraska. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So you can't drive your bus to Hawaii. Hawaii. Because... Everybody fill in the blank. It's an island. Yes. You can't drive the bus to but Hawaii. There's always some joker who says you could, you know, well, you're going to put it on a ship. And and we would if somebody wants to pay us. We always say that. We would absolutely 
Definitely do that. An island, obviously. An island is impossible to get to. You can't take your bus there. You cannot take your bus to an island that does not have a bridge to it. Or a ferry. Or a ferry. Mm-hmm. And so we had to cut a story from Mark and Ileana uh, that really deserves to be a detour. They had so many other fabulous stories, so this one just didn't make it in. But it really deserved to because it's extremely interesting and fascinating. Well, and it, they weren't able to take their bus to this remote island to go bird watching, birding. But who doesn't want to hear the story, though? Right, because it's fascinating. It is. Like, their obsession has now become my obsession. That's true. We watched the movie, and then you were doing research and looking at the photos of the island, which looked very much the same as in the movie. Mm-hmm. And they told us all about it. I didn't even know about it before they told us about it. Yeah. Did you? No. No, okay. I did not. Hmm. So, without further ado, here is Mark and Ileana's story from the remote island of Attu. One of the places we went to that year was, um, it was actually a place in Alaska, um, an island in the Aleutian chain called Attu, which is the westernmost Aleutian island. It's about 1,100 miles from the Alaskan mainland. It's closer to Russia than it is to mainland Alaska. It's a place, it's an uninhabited island. It's a place where very few people have ever gone. Um, and there was a segment on going to Atu in that movie, The Big Year. And that just kind of really got us inspired and got us excited about Atu. This was a place that like was on our bucket list now, and we had to make it a mission to get to Atu. When Actually, when Mark proposed... The way he proposed to me the year before in 2017 was asking me, uh, can we go to uh, Atu for our honeymoon? And that is the same sentence that is used in the movie The Big Year because there's a couple going to Atu for their honeymoon. So I thought he was like joking, but it was like we actually did make that the honeymoon going to Atu. And no, you cannot drive there. We had to get get there by boat. Yeah, this this is a really inhospitable place. It's cold, it's windy, it's damp. It's um, it's just a really, yeah, like it's not a place you would pick for a honeymoon, generally speaking. But, you know, this is just something that we had to do. And to get there, you can't, you can't fly to Atu. Um, there used to be a runway there. It used to be actually a, a Coast Guard facility, but it was decommissioned in about the year 2000. So since then, all the runways have kind of like, they're half grown over with tundra and everything out there is just, any structures are just kind of, you know, rotting and falling apart. So the only way you can get there now is by boat. Um, You can fly to another island called Adak Island. And from there you get on a boat and it's a 450 mile boat ride across the Bering Sea in like really, really rough Waters. If you've ever seen the TV show The Deadliest Catch, where these fishing boats, you know, go out into the Bering Sea and like these miserable high wave conditions, that what it, that's what it was like getting to Atu. Um, and Eliana, don't ask me anything about that trip because I was so sick the entire time that <laughs> I, that's why I stay quiet when people ask us about going to Atu and I let Mark do the, do the talking because 
I was decommissioned for the entire time. (laughs) Anyway, one of the appeals of going to this place called Atu is that it's very close to Russia. And so it gets a lot of these these vagrant birds that um, are not traditionally in North America, but if they, you know, get wrapped up in a storm during migration or they kind of wander a little bit too far east in their own migratory pathway across Asia, they have a likelihood of ending up on Attu. So a lot of North American birders want to go to Attu to see these rare Asian birds that turn up in North America. So in any case, um, we had a lot of good of good Asian birds turn up in Attu, and one of which is a bird called the gray bunting. Um, it's not a particularly... Um, you know, colorful or attractive or really distinctive looking bird. It kind of looks like a cross between a house sparrow and a junco, if you know what those are. But that was the rarest bird we saw the whole year. It was um, it was only the fourth time it had ever been seen in North America. So gray bunting, yeah. And we had a lot of other good rare birds that in that place too. We had um, we had uh, redneck stint. We had long toed stint. We had Tarek sandpiper. Yep. Favorite bird of the year. We had gray-tailed tattler. We had eyebrowed thrush. We had gray wagtail, yellow wagtail, white wagtail. These are all really rare birds that don't typically turn up in North America. We we actually had one super epic day on Attu where we had um, 15 different Asian bird species in one day. It was like, you know, probably the most epic birding day the entire year, actually. We had just... We had come through a lot of storms when we were at sea, um, boating to Attu. Uh, a lot of really strong southwest winds and rough seas and hell that we had to endure. But those conditions actually were probably the same conditions that were responsible for bringing the birds to Attu that we wanted to see. The storms and the rough weather and, um, yeah, just the really really rough days affected us and it also affected the birds. And then one day the storms subsided, the sun was shining and we had this like amazing birding day that I don't know if it could ever be repeated. It was pretty and amazing. That was over honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> and that was our honeymoon. And that was one and that was one day. We were we were actually supposed to have eleven days total on Atu, but we wound up getting there like, I don't know, Five, days, Five late. days late due to storms and also uh, boat problems. We had some mechanical failures on the boat and had to wait for parts. Um, and then I think our very last day that was supposed to be on Attu, we had to leave a day early because of more incoming storms. So the entire 11 days on Attu was whittled down to like five days. And of those five days, there was only that one good weather day. All the other days were like rainy and kind of like not that not that good for, for I mean we got a few more birds on the other days but we really had one day that was really good out of a was actually a 17 day tour because if you include the boat ride like you know 5 days there 3 days back and um and then a couple of days held up on Adak Island where we had the boat fixed it was you know we had one good birding day out of a very long tour one day all the more it did. It did. It definitely made that one day more memorable. I mean, I remember it really well. Eliana was kind of half out of it from all the seasickness. Although when she got on land, she was actually really good. 
Yeah, I was very happy to be on land. I could not have been any happier. And it was just so nice to be all the way in Atu. And not just because of the birds, but because of all the history that happened on this island. Most people don't know that during World War II, the Japanese took over Atu. Yeah, there was actually Um, a battle on Atu. On Atu. So most people don't know this history of World War II, where the Japanese invaded Atu and actually also Kiska Island. So it's very interesting. There's a really good book um, on this story um, called um, The Storm on Our Shores by Mark Obasmik. And it's such an amazing book that tells you the story of the war and everything that happened there. So for me, I wasn't just captivated on the story I mean, on the birds, I was also captivated on the history of the island. And it was just so nice to see, like, we saw the, the submarines there, like, all the, so much uh, stuff abandoned from the war was still on Atu and on Kiska, because we also visited Kiska. Well, very interesting. And uh, my favorite part was when I got on land and I took out my Colombian flag. I've always wondered, I'm like the first <laughs> Colombian to ever touch uh, Atu. <laughs> So there it is, Mark and Ileana's story of birding on Atu, a place where they could not take their bus. If you want to see pictures of Atu, you can either uh, follow them on Instagram, you can look up their website, birdingbybus.com. You can check out our website, ontheroadwithaddy.com. We've got some photos supplied by them, of course, from Atu. It's really incredible, uh, incredible people. Yeah, they're very inspiring. I mean, if you like buses, you can, you know, be interested in that. If you like birds, you can be interested in that. They're just spectacular. Um, They travel all over the world. I mean, they're just fun to watch. See where they go. See what they do next. Watch the bird watchers. We should do a big year where we just watch the bird watchers. Bird watcher watcher. I have a new obsession, Ryan. Yes. Mark and Ileana will be watching. 